Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. My name is Ted Flanagan. I am your host. And for this episode, we're joined by Mona Newton. She's been for the past nine years, she's been the executive director of CORE, the Community Office for Resource Efficiency in Aspen, Colorado, a fascinating community-based energy model. We're going to talk about some of CORE's works, her works at CORE, including coal mine methane recovery projects. Pretty cool stuff. Hey, Mona, welcome. Welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. Nice to be here and nice to see you too, Ted. Nice to see you too. It's been a, it's been a little while and I see through the window behind you that, that I, I presume you're in Aspen right now. I am. I am. And, you know, it's funny. It's uh, I love Aspen in the summertime because it doesn't usually get very hot. But I got to tell you, it's hot today. I think it's 89 degrees, maybe even 90 hottest I've ever experienced in my 10 years here. That's right. And and probably very few people have air conditioning because of that. Right. You just don't just don't need it. Generally, generally, you don't need it. I'm afraid people are going to, you know, zoom down to their local hardware store and buy the, you know, their off the shelf air conditioner and start jacking up their electricity use. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the downside, but it's hard to, uh, hard to argue against getting that kind of comfort when it gets to that, it gets to those temperatures. But. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you're not well or you're older and I mean, just in general, trying to think and, and work. So yeah, I know out here we have a lot of big focus on cooling centers for, yeah. for, for folks and just places, just places to go. But but now I, I, I don't see any color in the leaves here, yet in the trees. This is my September, a little later in September, maybe my very favorite time to visit the mountains there. Is that right? The leaves have not really started. They've just started higher up. Uh, the aspen leaves are starting to hit a little bit of golden yellow. Some of the the lower shrubbery is starting to turn some red. The fireweed is all flowered out and, and those leaves are turning a, a beautiful purple color and the berries are ripening for the bears. So hopefully they'll, they'll head higher up and head out of town. God, you're making me hear this. Oh, I just love the mountains. Nice, nicely described. Let's go way back before we talk about core and your energy works there. But I see on your resume, what is it? Northwest, Northwestern state, Oklahoma? Yes, that's where I went to college. Mm -hmm. Small school in the Panhandle. My father was from Oklahoma. And so I ended up going there, just sort of a small school that I chose to go there. So you were, you were not living in Oklahoma. Where, where, did you, where were you born and raised? I was born in northern New Mexico in a small town called Española. So I'm a fifth, fifth generation New Mexican. Really? Okay. And yeah. then school in Oklahoma, of course. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I know, right? What, I know. So what did you study in college? What was your thing? So I studied political science. Uh, that's where I started out. I was really interested in politics, interested in public administration, how the government works. And so I, I, gra I gravitated towards political science. And then, and then you went off to University of Denver. Was that grad school? Yeah. So then I, I was interested in international studies 
And I went to DU, the University of Denver Corbell School of International Studies, and, and I studied international relations there. And, and then um, I'll just launch right in. I but, but before you do, members, my daughter Sky went to University of Denver. So I have... Oh, that's so right. Yeah, I love that. I love that school and that campus. Yeah. Experience. Yeah, it was, great. it was great. I took an energy class. So this is how I got on the path that I got for my um, my career of many years, decades. And yep. I took an energy class and it was not it was not, a, you know, just a few years after the energy crisis. And you're going to love this. this is the softball back to you. I read Soft Energy Paths by Amory Lovins. Yeah. And it made so much sense to me that I kind of shifted my career and and thought I really want to be in this energy field and energy arena. And so off I went. Yeah. And I didn't end up getting into international relations after all. I could have, but yeah, I stayed um, I stayed in Denver. Well, now it sounded like um, you before you worked for the governor's office, um, it, it sounded like there was a private sector gig in there. Yeah, yeah. That, well, were you promoting solar or something at that point, or? Oh, yeah. I've been in the public sector, the nonprofit sector, and the private sector, and so yeah, I've had some days. Actually, I started out whether I was in homes for low-income people. That's where I really cut my teeth is in the field, so to speak, and then got into some policy and ran another nonprofit in Boulder, and I worked. It was a. It's called Resource Central now. And I, we worked on one of our claims to fame is really water conservation and then developing a program for used building materials and salvaging those used building materials. So resource conservation. And then I went on to the private sector and did some solar and wind work for a few years. Well, the wind thing that struck my interest was uh, some community owned wind model that you were working on. Yeah, it was really pretty fun and challenging. And I'm sure you um, know Randy Udall. Yeah. And uh, I was transitioning away from the center at the time. And and there was a lot of development of wind power. And we were having these conversations about you know, large ownership of wind, wind uh, farms. And so we started talking about, well, what if the community wanted to invest in a, in a wind farm? How could we do that? So I went off, since I had just left that position, I went off with some funding from Western Resource Advocates and um, a few other entities to, to find out if we could develop a community-owned wind model, not like the one in Minnesota where farmers invest in one turbine, but we were trying to develop a wind farm. And we went pretty far down the road with that project. We had an agreement with PPM, who was a developer at the time, and Excel Energy. Um, and we had investors lined up, and we called it Quixote Wind. Maybe that was our downfall. <laughs> But and we um, were able to get everything into place. Unfortunately, that project didn't come to fruition only because there was a wind turbine shortage that year that we were set to build the project. And our agreement with the wind development company was if our contract, if their contract was uh, decreased, we would get cut out. And unfortunately, we we got cut out with that project. So what a shame. how many how many households would have been involved in that project? Well, we actually had 10 uh, a 10 megawatt project 
And what we were seeking were larger investors. So while they were small investors, they were larger investors. We were talking with Boulder Community Hospital, the University of Colorado, Western Resource Advocates at the time, um, trying to think, it escapes me, but we had sort of 10 million dollar investors who would be willing to put that money in to develop the project. Oh, it's so interesting. And, and yeah. we know about the whole project in Copenhagen, in Denmark, Copenhagen, and the middle Grunen, the, you know, the wind turbines there that yeah. I just love the image of this, you know, auditorium, this high school gymnasium, you know, full of people that were all investors yeah. in, uh, in that part of that wind farm there. And of course, in Denmark, there is a lot of community on wind. And it seems like we could use more of that. We could really use it. Takes some, you know. It's gonna. It, it takes some revision of probably the investment model, and I haven't explored it lately. Maybe I should do that. Um, we haven't really explored that, but um, it just takes some revising of our investments models and what is required and or how we shape it. So mm-hmm. we were, yeah. It it there's still an opportunity there. I think. It was the next step going to the governor's office of. Energy yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I I was lucky enough, and I was in the spent uh, about five years working in the governor's energy office, under four years under Ritter, and then a year under uh, Governor Hickenlooper. So that was that was an exciting time. What were the What were the highlights of those years? What was What was going on? That was. Um... We we started out. We had. Well, I can still remember this. We had 50, we passed fifty-seven pieces of legislation during the four years that Ritter was in office that supported clean energy. It was really getting the clean energy economy off and running because that was his platform, and that's what our charge was. So we had that opportunity to execute on that. So we developed a number of pieces of legislation that included net metering requirements that included utilities to start developing clean energy plans. We actually started with the the first climate action plan for the state of Colorado, thinking about how do you you reduce carbon? Working with communities was a highlight for me because I spent a lot of time in the field working with communities and helping them to develop their own clean energy plans, their own climate action plans better building codes. We really launched a lot of work with building codes that lead us where we are today. I mean, that was, you know, 10, 12 years ago, but it was still just really on the forefront of getting all the communities up and going and just spending time working. Um, And I think it was really a lot of the legislation that we passed that really are sort of the cornerstone of where Colorado is today. And I mean, the other piece that I think was really pretty exciting was attracting new businesses to Colorado. If you remember, we, 2008, we were going, we were sliding into a huge recession and Colorado really went in. And by attracting new businesses like Vestas, a wind turbine manufacturing company that not only builds the turbines, but the blades, but the towers, and then brings in the companies that builds the components and a number of companies that have expanded and are very large today, we were able to create a lot of new jobs. And that was the big buzzword of the time is clean energy jobs. So that was that was really exciting to see because as I said, I mean, we did have the federal dollars through the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act to work with, but the policies that were 
in place at the time through the governor's energy office, the economic development, international trade, and then local affairs, you're really, really kind of working in sync to develop all kinds of policies and programs to keep the state afloat in that time of the recession, and then also create this whole new atmosphere and economy for clean energy. That sounds really fulfilling. Sounds really it was. Cool. It was exciting. And, and tiring and, you know, all includes, I mean, all of the above, right? It's a, but 50, yeah. 57 bills and all those jobs. Uh, I was, I, I'm hoping this segue is going to work. Something really appealing drew you out of Denver and, and took you west uh, to Aspen. Uh, is that, is this, a, is this segue going somewhere? Yeah, well, it's true. I, you know, one of those, um, at the point at that point in time, I was thinking this has been a great opportunity and it, it was really fulfilling and somewhat tiring. We worked pretty hard. I think most of us can say I ran into a colleague this past Friday. I don't know if this will work, but I ran into a colleague, a former colleague at the GEO. He's now head of uh, sustainability and environmental policy for Excel. And he said, oh, I miss the days at the GEO. And I think that a lot of us, we had such camaraderie, we had such collegiality, but when a governor changes, sometimes people, the team changed. And I had always been wanting to live in a mountain community and I hadn't had the opportunity yet. And I'd spent a lot of time in the mountains when I was at the governor's energy office working with communities and whatnot. And so the position at CORE, Community Office for Resource Efficiency, opened up. And so I thought I'd throw my hat in the ring. This would be, this could be an opportunity to have a legit job in the mountains and do what I really love, which is energy efficiency and renewable energy work. And they selected you and you, you were there for nine years and, and, and describe core. And I, of course, I have long, you know, longstanding knowledge of core because Randy, well, Alice, Alice, Alice Hubbard, I would call her, but Alice Laird, who, yeah. uh, had a hand in sort of crafting the original, you know, proposal to start the organization. And then Randy Udall, who I work with at Rocky Mountain Institute and uh, also involved with Solar Energy International together. But uh, describe what CORE is, because I just think it's a really cool community-based sort of energy model. It is. And that's that's also what drew me to um, this to the mountains was core because it is so unique. I mean, core has 20 is 27 years old. It was formed in 1994 by a community based group of of forward thinking citizens who came together and saw the 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 impending climate crisis, in all honesty. I mean, in 94, I mean, Rocky Mountain Institute was leading that. The, you know, that conversation and core group of citizens came together and said, we need our own energy office here in the Aspen Valley in Pitkin County and put together this nonprofit. And it's unique for a number of reasons. It's unique because the, the board and the board is changing now a little bit was primarily made up of elected officials for 26 years. And those elected officials came from Pickin County, City of Aspen. They came from Basalt, Snowmass Village, and then eventually Carbondale included. And now the board has expanded and includes Eagle County as well. So it's it's primarily elected officials, which I found very attractive because 
you're working directly with policymakers. You're not, I mean, I love nonprofits and have run a different nonprofit that where you work with the citizens board that's passionate and about the mission and making things happen in their community. And when with CORE, you have this opportunity where you're at your board meetings, you're sitting around talking with policymakers. They can take that information back directly to their fellow policymakers, city council, board of county commissioners, and say, this is what I learned at the core board meeting. This is what I think we should be doing. And they can have a lot of influence in their community to, to direct policy. And so I found that very appealing. By virtue of organizational design, right? Yes. By having a, a structure, whatever, whatever their laws are, their bylaws are that set, set up the structure of the organization, they, they set it up this way that you'd have elected officials that, as you're saying, would have a greater level of influence back in their communities than sort of a mid-level staffer who might fill in for a, an official every now and then. Right. Or a, a very ardent, uh, ardent community member who still has to go to city council and then make make the um, yeah, make, the case there. make yeah. their case for something to happen. I mean, a nonprofit, when you've got the board member right there, you've, yeah. you can have that conversation and so they can help set policy. I mean, one of the coolest things that I think the core did and you, you used all this money was this thing called REMP, right? With this what is it? Renewable energy mitigation project project program. Yes. The renewable. And that, and that was another lure for me was, I mean, you got uh, sort of uh, Stephen Knight, the, the retired building official hates it when you call it a carbon tax, but in effect, that was sort of the, one of the first carbon taxes in the United States, because it says, if you, if you build um, a home that exceeds a certain size, or if you decide you want to install certain energy consuming devices like pools, hot tubs, um, snow melt in your driveway, then you have to offset that energy consumption by those devices by paying either a fee or installing a solar system on your home or business because it applies and it's part of the building code. It's not just a you know, voluntary effort. It's part of the building code. And that was, that's also very unique getting it into the building code like that, because when you pull a building permit, you decide how you're going to design your home. Here's the building code and rent is a part of that. And so that's that, pretty was that unique. city of Aspen or was it all of Pitkin County? It's both the city of Aspen and Pitkin County. They're two different building departments. But, but in terms of that rent, is that, that's Pitkin County? Both of them. Yeah, both so of them have that. Core, uh, a certain amount of that money that was collected needed to be spent to come up with valid offsets in the community. And CORE's job was to do just that, just that, right? Weatherize homes and that kind of thing to create right. the savings. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And, and Randy made the um, initial promise, if you will, that we would, the CORE would offset that energy two times and that carbon two times. So if you paid into that fee, your carbon, for example, of your snow melt, if it generated 600 pounds of carbon, um, we would have to offset 1,200 pounds of carbon equivalent for 20 years. So we had to find the appropriate types of offsets, which included energy efficiency and renewable energy 
to um, to offset that carbon. So it was really a win-win for the community because the beautiful thing is that then that money comes back into the community as well. It's an economic development driver because you pay into it, then I decide to install a solar system on my house and I can get a rebate from CORE because you paid into the program or maybe you install solar on your house instead. And so then you're offsetting your carbon. You don't pay into it. And there was a lot of incentive. There was a lot of conversations with the contractors about the program because they didn't want to eliminate the opportunity to build a snowmelt system or install a driveway or a heated driveway or pool for their customer. And so that gave them two options, install the solar or pay the rent fee. And then CORE was charged with coming up with the programs that would use the rent dollars to invest them in the community. I didn't know about that doubling, that, that two to one factor that, that Randy had promised, but that is so admirable and, uh, and, and really exciting that what a, what a great, you know, for those people that the question, I, in fact, I was on the phone earlier today, somebody talked about offsets and how, oh, they're really, they're hard to validate, blah, blah, blah. But you know, when you're, when you're doubling, <laughs> right? You're, when you're doubling, it's sort of it's sort of unquestionable. Uh, another project I want to ask you about is is more, much more recent. Or I know REMP is still going on, but much more recent is that Aspen or um, somebody installed a five megawatt solar system, ground mount solar system. As you as you come into Aspen along uh, the highway there, or as you fly in, you kind of fly in over it. And uh, I know that Steve Childs had this vision and one of our, one of your county commissioners had this vision for that, a friend of mine. And a lot of people had a hand in putting that together, the utility Holy Cross Energy. What was what was CORE's role in that project? We I feel like we played an instrumental role in that project in advocating for it and advocating for it on its behalf. And at the time, it was a great opportunity for me to work with youth to because they're very they're very concerned about climate change and there's a group of the Aspen Environmental Youth Committee and so we reached out to them to ask them are you would you be interested what do you think about this and so core really rallied a lot of the folks in the community to speak in support of the project because a lot of times a project will happen without people knowing about it. And we wanted folks who are going to be here a long time to know about it. So we really helped advocate for it. We also partnered with POW, Protect Our Winters, who helped advocate for the project so that we could convince the county commissioners that it that we had a lot more advocates for it than there were opponents. And there were there were opponents, weren't there? There were quite a few opponents. Yes. I mean, you know, somebody somebody's saying building a five megawatt ground mount anywhere near Aspen when real estate prices are that value, valuable. Now, I know they built it on, what is it, an old uh, uh, spreading grounds for sewage sludge or something like that, that. Right. It's owned by the Aspen Sanitation Consolidated District. And they were very interested. And and you're right. Steve was, uh, he was really the person that came and said, hey, I, I brought it up at a meeting and I said, you know, Holy Cross Energy is going to be um, issuing a request for proposals for a solar project. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was in Picking County? And so Steve Child sent me a few sites to investigate. And I did a little bit of due diligence, having spent some time in the wind industry. And 
and vetted those sites. And, and it was a sort of a confluence of synergy. A person I had worked with in a former wind company called me and said, hey, do you know any sites that are available? I said, yes, I know of one that's pretty ideal. Here's the parameters. He worked with his um, the company that bid on the project. And so, I mean, it took four years to get it done. It was not an easy effort, but um, it's in, it's powering. And it's powering, I think it's um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 900 homes, Aspen homes, so. Very, very impressive. Let, let's talk methane, uh, coal mine methane recovery, which, which the, um, you know, MMC, mine methane capture, I guess. And I, I've just been impressed by this. And I guess our, our friend Rick Heady, our mutual friend Rick Heady, who I worked with at the Institute and now he heads up the Carbon Accountability Institute. He says there's 48,528 abandoned mines in the United States uh, that may be leaking methane. And so, I mean, that, which is just a, a, a scary, scary thought that there's that many mines. And I, so let's talk, how, sounds so complex to capture, to capture the methane out of, a, of an abandoned coal mine. Can you speak to that, please? Yeah, so that's kind of, I, I was been thinking about sort of my, you, you've given me an opportunity to sort of reflect on where I've gone over the years. And it's like, ah, I like solving difficult problems that's related to the environment and related to energy. And so in, in uh, Pickin County, we had from, for about 50 years, a coal mine complex of, of the mid-continent was operated by mid-continent coal and coke. And they took, they mined about 22, almost 23 million tons of coal out of this complex in Pitkin County. And when, and it's a very, and they knew all along that it was a very gassy mine. I mean, there's a book that that's um, the history of coal basin, and that's where the project that we're working on is and what we're trying to do. And they kept talking about how gassy it is. And um, in 2016, the state of Colorado had Ruby Canyon Engineering conduct a study of various abandoned closed coal mines in Colorado, where they identified about 10 mines. And at the top of the list is Coal Basin. And so there's about three mines there that they um, estimate are leaking or about Five mines actually estimate they're leaking about 9,000 tons of methane a year, which is equivalent to uh, 100,000 cars on the road or, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of methane. And so what we are wanting to do, and I'm working with a gentleman, Chris Kasky from Delta Brick and Climate. And we want to capture that methane, draw it very slowly out of the mine, capture that methane because it's leaking from a lot of different vents and portals, is bring it, gather it and bring it into one location, draw it out of the mine and either um, oxidize it or potentially generate electricity with it. So our, our step is, next steps are to do conduct a flow test and with that flow test, then we can better determine how much methane is actually leaking out of there. And then what kind of quality, because like any resource, you need something that's of, of higher quality to do something better with it. We need the highest quality methane to produce electricity, for example. If it's lower quality with other stuff in it, 
then we would probably oxidize it, which means flaring it, but not using a flare like an oil and gas. Right. Well. Now, you know, the Somerset mine, wasn't it the Somerset mine that's sort of on the way to Paonia from Carbondale there and, and the Aspen Ski Company and Randy was Randy Udall was involved in this as right. well. Right. Precedes this. Now, would the, would the gases coming out of that mine sort of give you an indication of the gases coming out of the, the coal basin mines? I mean, they sort of... Not that many miles apart as the crow flies, I wouldn't think. Right. They're about 40 miles apart. That's interesting. I haven't asked Chris that question. Um, and I don't know for sure, because I think it's a different type of coal that came out of the, the coal mines in Coal Basin. It was more of a coking coal. The coal that they used at Coal Basin was used at the um, the coking, the steel manufacturing plant in Pueblo. That's where it went. Yeah. So in, in, in this case, in the coal, the coal base in the project that you're working on, and I know that um, CORE has had this big role and you've been, you've been leading the charge there, you, you're, you sort of envision perhaps two sources of revenues, right? One would be if, you, if you're able to generate like they are at the Somerset mine and actually generate kilowatt hours and make money doing that. Mm-hmm. And the second would be to selling, selling carbon credits or offset, offset values. Is right. that right? Yes, that's probably, the, probably that's the bigger play, right? At, at stake, it probably is because you can generate even if we're not able to generate electricity. If we're if we only flare it, you take the methane down to carbon dioxide, which is carbon dioxide still bad, but it's not as bad. And yeah. so, with that improvement in the pollutant you right. are able to generate a carbon credit, a valid carbon credit too. Right. So, I, mean, I, I still use the 43, the factor of 43, that that one one molecule of methane, CH4, has 43 times the global warming potential of one molecule of CO2. But I've heard lots of different numbers, but it's a huge difference, right? It is a huge difference, right. And so we would be able to sell um, carbon offsets and which are done right now with the with the project at Somerset. It does generate electricity. It does, and they have a flare nearby, and that generates carbon offsets as well. So it's a project that can do both. And who knows? We'll see what we're able to do. But we could at least, I shouldn't say at least, we can generate, we're hoping to be able to generate carbon offsets. Right, right. It's oh, so yeah. exciting. Now, with that kind of potential, I would think that you would uh, you you would do this all again and again. Um, are there people that are doing this that are that are setting up these these uh, mine methane capture projects all over? Well, the- it's so it's it's challenging. I mean, honestly, it's really challenging, and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do more of this. Um, I'm still boggled by the forty eight thousand abandoned mines. I'm going to. Um, because that's that's a huge amount of methane. And as we know, methane is something we really need to tackle in the next few years in order if we're going to get a handle on global warming. And so we can learn, we can share what we're learning with other entities, with other communities uh, and how to go about it. I think we are particularly challenged because our project is challenged because not only is it um, the lands on public land, so it's managed by the Forest Service, there's BLM minerals, manages the minerals, and we have a private mineral owner. So, and it's an abandoned closed mine. So it's a little bit more challenging than probably, and I would advocate for 
legislation or regulation, or maybe not, but somebody who's closing down a mine to start tackling it right now. Like, don't wait. Don't wait till you've closed Craig. Don't wait till you've closed the the mine and other communities to start doing this kind of work. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds incredibly important, incredibly complex. And you said you like you like challenges, and and there you go. Um, but as I read about this coal basin mines, these five mines, these five abandoned mines, 280,000 metric tons of CO2 equivalent per year. That's half of Pitkin County's entire uh, greenhouse gas footprint uh, per year. So that's just a, a huge value. So this work is, is crazy, crazy important. Are there other um, are there other big pieces? We're kind of running out of time, but are there other big pieces that uh, of core that you wanted to mention, or your next steps that you wanted to talk about? Well, I think one. Just going back to core, I think one of the pieces that we've been able to do that I I want to share with you is that a lot of times is about ramp, and a lot of times um, communities or political political leaders, our community leaders, feel that well, you can't do this because it's only an Aspen. It's Aspen with all these wealthy. I just want to share the city of Lakewood recently adopted, after a few years, they adopted a, a ramp-like program for their community for new construction. And I know that Summit County is, is examining how they can adopt it, how that can be adopted in their county. Eagle County has something light, I want to call it ramp-light, Rep like um, so, it's a possibility that other communities and and at one point, uh, well, not one point, but the county in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is it's not Jackson. Um, it's escaping me. They have adopted a ramp like program. And so um, in Idaho as well, near Sun Valley, and that's a resort community and Telluride as well. And I know those are resort communities, but it but Lakewood is sort of the first out of the gate bubble, if you will, that's that's adopted it. And so I think that's that's really important that um that it's it is replicable i think and for me i i feel like it's interesting you bring up carbon offsets it's a it's an area that i've been interested in. i used to sell wrecks back in the day from a small wind farm with uh eric blank and community energy and uh i think i think carbon offsets are going to have a role to play and i think we need to make sure they're legitimate offsets so that's a realm that i'm interested in exploring yeah very good. And, and final question, um, how do you keep balance? Uh, I, I ask this of everybody that I interview. Um, you know, yeah. we're all, everybody's passionate about their work and they dive in and often they get in over their head and for a while. And but how do you keep balance? Well, that's part of the reason why I'm still here in Aspen and why I've, what drew me here is nature and just getting out in nature and appreciating what we have and all the beauty of walking among the trees and and then I love exploring all the world and seeing what else is out there. Recently, I went to Tanzania to um, expand my carbon footprint, not really, but to have a chance to look at what it's like to be out there with the with the wild and the wild animals and see all of that and and snorkel off the in the Indian Ocean and explore coral that's still alive. That that's what really renews me. I can 
get pretty depressed seeing dead trees and wildfires and that kind of thing. But it's looking at it's seeing nature and all its beauty and glory and the abundance and what it gives back to us and what we can give to it. So um, and I don't think of nature really as an it, but um, yeah. So to me, that's what renews my spirit. Yeah, that's really uh, that's fantastic. Congratulations on your accomplishments. Thanks for what you're doing. Take your vitamins. Keep taking your vitamins. And <laughs> you're you're very articulate. And I love I love what you've just said about nature and how that I mean that that connection is so profound, obviously to you and to me too. So good stuff. Thanks, thanks, Mona. Have a great day. Hey, thank you, Ted. I appreciate it. Love to see you when you're in town again. I look forward to that. All right. Bye bye. Take care. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.